to the Redeemed Evangelical Mission, Trem, Atlanta. This is a place where we gather together in quality praise and worship of the true and living God. Equipped with the world of God for growth and fellowship with one another. God bless you as you listen to this message. So I will start by defining glory in the language of the market woman. The language I'm sure every one of us can understand. Like I told you, when the big boys come, they will give you the theological definitions. There are certain words that you think you know. You just assume you know it. Until they ask you to define it. Then you discover, you just assume that you know it. For example, if I ask you, what is distance? Uh, distance. I know distance now. And tell us, what is distance? Oh, distance is the gap between two points. Good. So what is gap? Gap is the distance. <laughs> or oh, your child comes to you and says, Papa, what is time? And you say, ah, everybody knows what time is. Uh, I don't know, tell me. Uh, time is that which is measured in hours and minutes and seconds. Papa, I didn't ask you how they measure time. What is time? <laughs> there are many words like that that we just assume we know. And yet we can't define them. We can go on and on. What is life? Etc. etc. <laughs> what is life? Life is living. What is living? Well, living is having life. Ah. <laughs> we are going around in circles. One of such words is glory. What is glory? Oh, I'm sure you think you know. But tell me, define it in a way that a child will be able to understand. <laughs> you will discover we don't have the definition. Oh, the dictionary will give you something very funny. But at the end of the day, you will say, wait a minute, what has the dictionary said? Now, in, I'm not trying to teach philosophy or advanced mathematics. But whenever you find a word that you cannot define, you look for the opposite of the word. By looking at the opposite, you will find it easy to define. I mean, for example, what is life? We don't know. But we know that the opposite of life is death. Uh -huh. Death is easy to define. What is death? Permanent separation from people, places, and things. That's death. Because when you travel on holidays, you are separated from your house, from your bed, from your people. But that's temporary. As soon as the holiday is over, you are back. Death once you are separated from the people, from the places, from things, you are separated. That's the definition of death. So, then you can say, okay, life is the opposite of death. And you can take it from there. So what is glory? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 35. Proverbs 3, verse 35 gives us the definition by giving us the opposite 
He said, the wise shall inherit glory. But shame shall be the promotion of fools. Ah, the wise is the opposite of fools. And glory belongs to the wise. Shame belongs to fools. So what is glory? Glory is the opposite of shame. Period. Which is why I'm starting by decree in the name that's above every other name. The one who gave us the theme for this year's convention. There will be no more shame in your life. So glory is the opposite of those things that cause shame. What are the things that cause shame? Disease, for example. You cannot see anybody lifting up his head and shouting, Hey, glory be to God, I have HIV AIDS. Ah, brethren, shout hallelujah, I've just tested positive to coronavirus. You won't hear that. So, disease, sickness, they cause shame. And that's why during this convention, every one of you with any form of sickness or disease, you are going to be healed. Yeah. Another thing that comes shame is poverty. Oh, <laughs> whether you believe it or not, poverty causes shame. You know, during the uh, millennium celebration in Britain, they, they built a dome and they wrote something there, one of the things they wrote inside, because I was there when they were opening it. They said, when money is speaking, nobody checks the grammar. You know the money of that, the meaning of that? <laughs> If you are rich, there is an element of glory associated with it. When the poor man is talking, people will say, shut your mouth. Who asks you to talk? Uh, poverty is related to shame. And I decree in the name that's above every other name, you will not die poor. And then, of course, another thing that causes shame could be demonic oppression. There's somebody who can come and announce to the congregation and say, uh, ladies and gentlemen, shout hallelujah, uh, his, his brother or sister has just gone mad. There's nothing glorious in being mad, nothing glorious in being demon-possessed. There's nothing glorious in being defeated. Defeat causes shame. If you don't believe me, all you need to do is remember when the Green Eagles won the World Cup, there was a motorcade to welcome them from the airport all the way to TBS where they were received. Not long after that, they went to play and they lost in the opening rounds. Nobody knew when they came into the country. <laughs> and so, you have a rough idea of what glory is now. Now then, the word exceeding. That one came from the text I read to you, that there are categories of glory. One glory of the sun, one glory of the moon, one glory of the star, and then when you gather stars together, you will see, see that stars differ or exceed other stars in glory. So very quickly then, 
let me take some of these things that's caused shame and see <coughs> how the glory as far as that one is concerned can be explained for example healing is glorious Mark chapter 2 from verse 1 to 12 Mark 2 from verse 1 to 12 when they brought in that boy that was paralyzed from neck downwards to Jesus Christ you know the story where they had to break the roof to bring him in when that boy was healed the boy that was carried in when he was going carrying what carried him in the Bible said they glorified God to be healed is glorious but there's something more glorious than to be healed and that is to be made whole Luke chapter 17 from verse 11 to 19 Luke 17 from verse 11 to 19 tells us that there were 10 lepers who cried to Jesus Christ for healing he told them go and show yourself to the uh, priests as they were going they were cleansed one returned to give glory to God and Jesus promoted him from being healed to being whole see when you, when you are healed there's always the possibility of a relapse when you are whole that thing is gone forever when God healed Naaman it's not just that his leprosy was gone you know leprosy has a way of uh, cutting away fingers cutting away toes and leaving all manners of sores on the body he wasn't healed he was made whole the bible said when he was coming out of the water the seventh time his skin returned to him like that of a brand new baby made whole so to be healed is glorious to be made whole is more glorious <clears throat> but there's something more glorious than being made whole and that is you being the vessel that brings healing in Acts chapter 3 from verse 1 to 11 Acts 3 verse 1 to 11 there was this boy who was born crippled and uh, Peter got there, took him by the hand, and he was instantly made whole. Everybody started looking at Peter as if an angel has come down. May I pray for someone here tonight? You will not just be healed. You will not just be made whole. After this convention, any sick fellow you touch will be healed. But there's something more glorious than laying your hand on the sick to heal them. And that's when you don't even have to come near them at all to heal them. For example, in Acts chapter 5, from verse 14 to 16, Acts 5, 14 to 16, the Bible tells us that other apostles, oh, they were performing miracles, etc., etc., but they said there was this case of Peter. His own was exceeding because it was his shadow alone that was healing the sick. How beautiful will it be if when you are walking through the market, every sick fellow in the market gets healed? You walk to the hospital and everyone there got healed. That is what we are called talking about when we talk about exceeding glory. And just to let you know that that's possible, God can make that available to you. I will just tell you a small story. Probably you had it before. 
I was visiting a nation outside the country. And when I got to the airport, I found that uh, there was one of my sons who would normally be there to receive me, and he wasn't there. So even though there was quite a crowd, I said, sir, what about so-and-so? Oh, sorry, daddy is uh, very sick in hospital. And I said, can we pass by the hospital on the way to the hotel? They said, oh, sure, we can. I got there. I was told on the way that this fellow uh, had cancer of the highest degree. As a matter of fact, by the time he walked in, the doctors, they, they couldn't believe that he was still walking. And in that hospital, they had a big room, a special part, a part, a department, where they put people who cannot survive. So when they put you in that room, they are telling you, uh, we are just waiting for the man who will take you to the mortuary. That's where they placed my son. Because they said, you know, probably you know a little bit about cancer. There's something they call PSA. By the time somebody is reading 29, people become agitated. By the time he reaches 200, <laughs> God have mercy. By the time my son got there, he was reading 4,000. So I went in there. I got permission, and they said, <laughs> you, can't, you can't harm him. Whatever you do, is gone, so go. So I got there, and I prayed for my son. Now there were several others in the same room. And you know, in some places abroad, you don't pray for people unless they ask you to. Otherwise, they will sue you. <laughs> Thank God for Nigeria. So I prayed for my son. It was a Saturday, and I left. By the special grace of God, the following Wednesday, they discharged my son. But that's not really the point I'm about to make. The point I'm about to make is on that same Wednesday, everybody in the room when I came in, was also discharged. They call that exceeding glory. And in the name of the one who called me, in the name of the one who called Bishop Mike, because it has pleased the Almighty God to bring me here today, every one of us we go home with our healing. Now, please be seated. The opposite of poverty is wealth. It is a glorious thing to be debt free. There's nothing glorious in being a debtor. I mean, like you find in 2 Kings chapter 4, from verse 1 to 7. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1 to 7. In the story of that widow who was destitute, the creditors came. She had nothing to pay with. They said, if you don't get our money by tomorrow, we will sell your sons. Creditors have unbelievable powers over debtors. They can chase you out of your house and sell it. They can take the car off your, your hand. And, I mean, it's a shameful thing to be a debtor. But I could imagine when God had intervened in the life of that widow, when the creditors came the following day, and she was able to say to them, how much do you say I owe you, sir? <laughs> Take your money. And then she still had enough to live on for the rest of her life. That is glorious. 
Will you please join me? Say amen. When I say that in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, you won't enter the new year with death. It is glorious to be debt free. But it is more glorious to be rich. And when I read the story of second, in 2 second Kings chapter 4, from verse 8 to 17, 2 Kings 4, from verse 8 to 17, it tells us the story of a woman, the Shunammite woman. The Bible calls her great. The greatness was tied to her being rich. I mean, here was a woman who saw a man of God passing by and said, I must feed you. The man of God said, I don't, who told you I'm hungry? Sir, you are not going anywhere. You must come to my house and eat. She fed the man of God. The man of God tasted the food and kept coming back. <laughs> because the, the food of a rich woman is not exactly the same thing as the one ravens will bring to you <laughs> twice, twice a day. And this woman just said, I'm going to build the man of God a house. And she had the resources. There are many of you here, if God provides, you will want to single-handedly build a church, at least in your hometown. Am I right? And that's why I'm saying once again, you won't die poor. There's something more glorious than being rich, and that is being wealthy. A rich man is somebody who can put some money in savings. A wealthy man, <laughs> if he takes his money out of your bank, you will shake. I mean, when you read First Chronicles chapter 22, verse 14. First Chronicles 22 verse 14 David said eh, Solomon I wanted to build a church a tabernacle for my God he told me I can't now nah. he said you are the one who will build it and let me tell you my son I won't let you spend a couple of your money I will pay for every bit of it. It's a beautiful thing. I mean, look at this wonderful edifice. <laughs> it is clear to everybody when we built it, it was big. Now, too small. Am I correct? Imagine somebody raising up someone among us. Who will come to the bishop before the end of this convention? I say, sir, we must build a bigger sanctuary. And sir, before you begin to say, no, 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 mm -mm, it's not going to cost you anything. I will pay for it all. The land, the building, the furniture. Who, who would love to be that fellow? Ah, receive it in Jesus' name. But then there's something more glorious than being wealthy. And that is being prosperous. You know, you get to a stage when <laughs> when we're talking about wealthy people, there are wealthy people, but there are wealthy people. In Second Chronicles chapter 1 from verse 6 to 15, 2 Chronicles 1, 6 to 15, Solomon offered a thousand bond offerings to God. In one day, 1,000 fat cows. I'm sure the priest must have said to him, Your Majesty, are you alright? Because you want to offer an offering. By the time you offer seven, we will say you are, he said, uh, 1,000. I could imagine what happened that day. The blood of animals was just flowing. 
the ability to do anything you want to do because the money is there when you have to you have the ability to do what you want to do without any calculations that is called prosperous but because of time let me quickly move on and tell you that there is something more glorious than being prosperous the bible calls it flourishing <laughs> a good example will be found in second chronicles chapter 7 verse 5 second chronicles 7 verse 5 the second time solomon was going to offer a special sacrifice to god he offered 22,000 bullocks and wasn't satisfied with that he added 120,000 sheep now that is called flourishing you know probably I've had me tell the story before of the wife of Anemia of one of these Arab countries who went to Haros. Haros is the biggest, most expensive supermarket in the whole world. She got there, shopped for three days. At the end of the three days, he called one of the servants, uh, get me a plane to take my goose home, because there were many. And that one said, ah, okay, ma. I, I'll go and get uh, one of the cargo planes to go. She said, cargo plane for my goods? Go and buy a brand new aeroplane. Remove all the seats. <laughs> and they would have went, bought a brand new aeroplane, threw away the seats, took the goods home, and she didn't even open any of them for three years. She wasn't shopping because she wanted, she was shopping because she was bored. <laughs> so now you have a rough idea. When, when, when we talk of the word exceeding, you begin to get the idea. But there was someone who went to the owners of Harrods and said, I want to buy Harrods. And <laughs> that fellow looked at him, are you crazy? Do I look like somebody who wants to sell? Am I hungry? He said, name your price. This man didn't come to shop for three days. He bought the whole thing. In the name that's above every other name. When they begin to talk of people who are flourishing in the world, they will name you as one. Maybe anyway, you you said I have time. <laughs> okay. I told you that being demon possessed is shameful. Deliverance is glorious. In Mark chapter 1, from verse 21 to 28, Mark 1, 21 to 28, the Bible talks about a man who had an unclean spirit. The Lord came in, set him free, and the people glorified God. Deliverance is glorious. It is more glorious for you to be the vessel that God will use to bring deliverance. Acts of the Apostle chapter 8 from verse 5 to 8. Acts of the Apostle chapter 8 from verse 5 to 8. Bible tells us about Philip. He went to Samaria. Even as he was preaching, demons were flying out. That's more glorious. But it is even far more glorious that you don't need to go there. When you hear somebody is demon-possessed, 
that you do something like uh, it happens in Acts chapter 19, verse 11 to 12. Acts 19 from verse 11 to 12. It tells us that God performs special miracles. If the Almighty God uses the word special, that is the meaning of exceeding. By the hand of Paul, when they come to Paul and they tell him, there's someone demon possesses, he will just take his handkerchief. That fellow. And demons will see the handkerchief coming and they will run. I'm praying for you that this convention is going to change you. So mightily that when demons see your handkerchief coming, they will run. I can tell you stories on that better. I won't. I, I, I will move on quickly. Defeat is shameful. Victory is glorious. John chapter 5, from verse 2 to 9. John 5, from verse 2 to 9. It tells us the story of a man by the pool of Bethesda who uh, had been there for 38 years. You know the story. And the Almighty God healed him. Now he said one thing. He said, um, when the angels come once a year to bring healing to the people, only one fellow will be healed. And before I could get in there, somebody else goes in there before me. He said, the reason I'm still here after 38 years is that I have been defeated again and again and again. When you win a battle, when you are fighting with your equal and you win, uh, that's glorious. But it is more glorious when you win fighting against far, far superior enemy. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, from verse 1 to 51, 1 Samuel 17 from verse 1 to 51. David defeated Goliath. There was this giant who had been terrorizing a whole nation for days. And then this small boy came and wiped him out with an ordinary slingshot. No wonder the whole nation shouted for joy. Do you know I believe very firmly that out of this convention will come somebody who will put an end to terrorism in Nigeria? Yeah. Uh, don't be afraid to say amen, you know. Yeah. You might be the fellow. Yeah. But the most glorious of all victories is when you win without fighting. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 and 7, Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 and 7, when the Lord says, If you will hearken diligently to the voice of the Lord your God to observe and to do all that He commands you, He said, The, the enemies that come against you will be smitten before your face. They will come against you one way, they will flee seven ways. You know what? He said, You won't even need to fight. The enemies are coming, and you just see them being smitten. That is exceeding glorious. We built a church in America. Mm, sorry, I don't. I, I, I didn't want to mention the name of the town, but I've, I've already done so now. And we, we have already fixed the date for the dedication. When my children phoned to say a big man in town, I won't mention his position, said over his dead body will that church be dedicated. You know, in some nations of the world, 
even before you can dedicate your house, at times you need permission. <laughs> and so my children were agitated. What are we going to do? We have finished the building, everything according to specification, but this big man says he's not going to be dedicated. That no, no church will be in his neighborhood. What are we going to do? Shall we go to court? Because, you know, they, they go to court over almost everything in some places. I said, no, of course. If it's as big as you said, he should be able to handle, <laughs> he should be able to handle the judge. What are we going to do? Shall we begin a fast? I said, no. Why not? He had already said through the matter. How? He said over his dead. Uh-uh. So they summoned a meeting of uh, whatever people who would finally take a decision where I was going to make a very strong case why there should be no church in the neighborhood. Uh, traffic problem, noise problem, etc., etc. And the majority of those who are coming will be black people anyway. So he got ready to go. And as he was dressing, he took his trouser, put the right leg in the correct place, and then put the left leg in the same place. And so the leg got caught, two legs now, and just one leg of the trouser. And in an attempt to pull out the left leg, he fell and hit his head against something. By the time they took him to the hospital, he was pronounced dead. I know you will say, ah, daddy, you killed him. No. I never kill anybody. I didn't even pray. You know, the Bible says something. We are more than conquerors. What's the meaning of more than conquerors? You win without fighting. When you leave this convention, every enemy that had ganged up against you, if they don't repent, they will be gone. Now let me close. <laughs> because there's a timer up there that is uh, blinking and telling me you have only seven minutes to go. I want you to think about Jesus Christ. Because we can't talk about glory without talking about Christ. When he was born, it was a glorious night. Luke chapter 2, from verse 1 to 14. Luke 2, 1 to 14. The mass choir of heaven came to sing at his birth. When he had become an adult, in Matthew chapter 17, from verse 1 to 2, Matthew 17, from verse 1 to 2, he was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. Oh, the glory of that day was frightening. The Peter didn't even know what he was saying. But in Revelation chapter 1, from verse 10 to 17, Revelation 1, 10 to 17, after he rose from the dead and he visited his best friend, John the Beloved, on the island of Patmos. When John saw him in that exceeding glory, he said he fainted. 
glory enough to cause your friend to faint. The, you know, the text we read says, stars differ from stars in glory. Stars come out only at night. They are there all the time. But it's when we brush aside the glory of the sun that we can see the stars. And I said, take it. Get on the road to Damascus. The one who is called the bright and morning star. At noon time, when the sun was brightest, shone. Showed his glory to Saul of Tarsus. You know the story. There was a glory that can knock you down from your horse. The glory is so exceeding, so powerful, that it will reduce noonday sun to mere darkness. That glory is available to you. How do I know? Colossians 1 verse 27. Colossians 1 27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then in 1 John chapter 3 verse 2, 1 John chapter 3 verse 2, the Bible made a promise that when we see him, we shall be like him. A day is coming, brothers and sisters, when we will be as glorious as the one who really symbolizes exceeding glory. But for you to be able to see him, the Bible says clearly in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, Hebrews 12, verse 14, without holiness, no man shall see God. That day is coming when we shall see him. But will you be one of us? Because you cannot continue to live in sin and expect to see the bright and morning star. That's why I want to appeal to you if you are not absolutely sure of your salvation, make sure tonight. Because he can return any moment. And an opportunity to see him and become like him is available for you tonight. That's why I'm making an appeal to those of you who are backsliding. If you have gone back into doing those things that you said you will never do again, this convention is a wake-up call. Come back to the lover of your soul, to the one whose blood cleanses from all sins. So I'm making an altar call to two sets of people. You've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You are just pretending. You are not sure that you are saved. Come. Come tonight. You've given your life to Jesus Christ before, but you went back for one reason or the other. Come for restoration. You've told me I have two minutes for you to come so we can pray together so God can restore you. And then you'll be able to join us when we pray for exceeding glory to be our portion. So if you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, come quickly. I'm going to count from one to seven. If you are backsliding and you want to come back to the lover of your soul, come quickly, even as I begin to count. One. Oh, you might be the only one. Conventions can be called just because of one fellow. So keep coming. Don't wait for anyone. 
We have to choose between exceeding shame and exceeding glory. Two. Thank you, those of you who are clapping. Encourage them. Three. Hurry up, hurry up. I can see you coming from all over. Keep clapping, brethren. Your hand will never wither. Four. Five. Keep clapping, keep clapping. They are still on the way. Oh, thank you, Father. Keep clapping. Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. Yes, this is your night. You are the first fruit of this convention. Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. Hurry up, thank you. Six. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Now, those of you already in front, and any of you might see beyond the way, if you are on the way, you are not late yet. I'm here to say seven. Please hurry up. Hurry up. Hurry up. But those of you already in front, and those who are on the way, cry to God. And say, King of glory, please save my soul. Wash me clean with your blood. I want to be one of your children. I want to look forward to a future of glory. Please save my soul tonight, and I will serve you for the rest of my life. The rest of us, please, let's stretch our hands towards these people and intercede for them. And pray that the one who saved our own souls will save their souls also. Pray that God will give them genuine salvation tonight. Intercede for them. Just for one minute, pray that the Savior will save the souls of these people and he will restore every backslider to himself thank you my father glory be to God in Jesus mighty name we have prayed amen my father my God I want to bless your holy name I want to give you all glory and honor for these people who have come forward to surrender their lives to you and for backsliders who are returning home. Father, please receive them in Jesus' name. Save their souls. Let your blood wash away their sins. Lord, please receive them into the family of God. Write their names in the book of life. And I pray, Lord God Almighty, that from now on, any time they call on you, you will answer them by fire. Thank you, Almighty God. Please, Lord God Almighty, as they will be joining others to cry unto you tonight, I pray, as you are answering all the others, you will answer them also. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, those of you who have come forward, just a moment, I want to rejoice with you, because like I said, you are the first fruit of this convention. And I can promise you, all of us rejoicing with you today, we'll be remembering you in our prayers. And the Almighty God will uphold you to the very end. So before the counselors take you away, I want you to be part of the prayer we're about to pray now. And how many of us here tonight can say with all certainty that whatever prayer I pray tonight, God will answer. If you believe that, stand on your feet. And shout a big hallelujah to God. I want you to lift your voice to the Almighty God now. For just a few minutes. 
Forget the people on your right and the people on your left. It's you and God now. And cry to him and say, Father, before this convention is over, everything causing shame in my life, wipe it away. Go ahead, cry to the Almighty God. Cry to the Almighty God. Every shame in my life, Lord, take it away. Makoto, Yakata, he ends today, he ends today, he ends today, he does end today. In every area, in my family, in my business, oh God, he ends today. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus, we have prayed. If you believe that the shame ends today, give him a shout. Thank you for listening to another message. God's blessing be with you now and forever. For counseling, email trem at tremusa.org. Remain blessed.